Quick shout out from our sponsor, Sheer ID. Are you trying to boost conversions to your Shopify store? Need to drive more customer loyalty? Get results fast by offering exclusive discounts to consumer communities with Sheer ID. Sheer ID helps verify students, teachers, military, first responders, and so much more of these groups. With Sheer ID, you'll get a verified match in seconds. You can spit out an exclusive discount for customers on the spot. Try speaking directly to a new customer segment with this verifiable identity without adding friction to the shopping experience. Continue to drive incremental revenue in the next 90 days post-purchase with more tailored messaging for your email and SMS campaigns. I personally tested ShareID to see just how easy it was to get it set up, and I was pretty much ready to go in under 15 minutes. The onboarding was simple enough for me to follow as a non-technical person. Go to sheerid.com slash Shopify and start your free trial today. Once again, that's sheerid.com slash Shopify and start your free trial today. Is there anything else that someone in that early revenue range, 500K to 1.5 to 2 million? Should, what other things are like, have you noticed that are relatively common, either mistakes or just don't not knowing things? Yeah, so um, the common thing that I kind of see across the board here is not leveraging systems early enough. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce uncovered podcast. I'm your host, Matt Lady. We're here today to talk about a topic that is not as sexy and flashy uh, as a lot of other ones, but it's just as important, if not more important. It's often overlooked, undervalued, very much not discussed enough. And what's that? It's operations. Ops, baby. It's not as glamorous. It's not as visual as a pretty email or an ad, but it's a foundational layer to any business. I'm pumped to, to be able to talk to someone who has grown his own brands to the seven-figure market beyond and also helps others do the same through his agency based in the UK. The agency is called Contrast. I'm joined by Elliot Davidson. Elliot, how do you define operations? What pieces of the puzzle do you consider to fall under ops? I think like that one again is so open ended that I really think it depends on the stage you are at within your like company. So if you are a, a multi million pound brand, ops in itself will be one silo. Like I think, whereas if you're, let's say, going from like half a million to like two or three, they'll probably take under the umbrella of more things like fulfillment. Uh, that will definitely come under under their uh, kind of like day-to-day um, knowledge and like oversight. Um, out, outside of that, it's, it's more things like they'll probably have like um, looking at marketplace and like health um, and the, the dealing with like the listings getting them live because still at this point, yes, they'll be like speaking with and dealing with like liaising with marketing, but they, they, that overview and oversight is so far reaching that it's it's all the things that you just don't see. Okay, that is the easiest way of describing. Okay, it. so uh, like you like the things you said, and this could be things like uh, purchasing inventory, storing the inventory, yeah. picking and packing, fulfillment, uh, shipping, like, and then yeah. for some, yeah, Something- go ahead. So it's just like, like I, something that I've kind of like personally termed and coined is like, um, like the e-commerce operating system. Like I feel, think like breaks down into six different areas. So you've kind of like got finance, customer services, marketing, operations, fulfillment, and then I'm already blanking on what I've already said. Um, but it kind of breaks down into those t- uh, different six different silos of like core different pillars, and each of them is what is um, essential for growing and scaling your e-commerce business. And what is like, again, like that operational aspect have so much far outreaching um, support to like the other areas. So like for argument's sake in in our, one of our organizations, like uh, we've got uh, an operations manager who deals with the day-to-day stuff. And he walks in uh, through and speaks with customer support. He walks in through to the warehouse and might have to quick do a few pick packs to just help bridge on a Monday or a bank holiday type of thing when things are a little bit more busy. He might be working with and speaking with purchasing who are placing some larger orders. 
reps are coming in and pitching new products, like seeing if they're they're worth it. New deals are coming through, like let's let's jump on and buy buy, buy some more of more of them. Or it could be then as well that we need to uh, push some new products on the marketing side. So we need to get them in the system first and get them to be marketing to be able to even use and that kind of thing. This is like it to me, it is the glue that holds the rest of the company together to for it to be able to function. Yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. I love that uh, glue, like gluing the business and the teams together. Uh, and But they're its own silo or part, like you said, itself. So yeah. Uh, where does someone start with this glue with operations? Like if they've been flying by the seat of their pants and they're just been like selling product and marketing and like make like fleet slinging this stuff around, but like not really having a system or a structure or a person, maybe they're a bootstrap founder and can't hire anyone else yet. So like, how do you kind of think of like, where does someone start with that? Oh no! Like I've I've been, I've been there, so I, <laughs> I I I know uh, what you mean from uh, f- from first hand. So you don't know what you don't know, and then it's just that natural evolution for most of bootstrap founders that you learn this through your own mistakes. Normally, uh, that end up costing you, and then from there things things like change, and you're like, I'm never making that mistake again. I will correct that. And that's normally the, the, the kind of the case uh, for, for all of this. But in terms of like starting out, I think the main things that I would say, like for me, it all comes back to data. Like nothing can work correctly and your life will be 10 times easier, probably even more than that, if that is correct within the organization. And that is only... Um, like for argument's sake for yourself, you're working in-house um, and I'm, I believe you're all producing your own products. You're not a retailer, are you? Correct. Yeah. So your SKU count will probably be what, a thousand max type of thing? Yeah. Whereas like what, what on our side, one of our uh, companies, we've got 150,000 SKUs because we're a retailer and we have that reach. Wow. So like you can imagine like cleansing your data and working through that, like I could do that manually, like not an issue. I'll make sure I'll go through it with a fine tooth comb, but like that's just physically not possible at 150,000 SKUs. So like, how do you even think to tackle that as a problem? It's it's just a different thing. So like, that's like, for me, it's a, a whole different ball game when you're talking like own brand to retailer. Like there's two, there's two different issues that they run into and like again when you're talking about like even just outside of operations a second like trajectory people go retailer it's it's easier to get up and running and sorry <coughs> sorry it's easier to get up and running as a retailer and you probably will see a little bit more quicker revenue coming through the door but I think the cap on the ceiling is a little bit uh, quicker to, to happen. You won't get as potentially, you've got the potential as much reach, but there are, there are bigger problems. And these biggest problem for on a retailer side, and I've experienced it firsthand is data. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, one, I, I purchased a company two years ago um, and went into the OMS for anybody that's unsure of that. That's um, a, a, your backend system that kind of puts all your data in. It's like all the kind of like marketing channels feed into that uh, from like your Shopify site, your eBay and things like that. It kind of makes it a centralized system. It, it makes your life a lot easier rather than just having an order coming from randomly and not knowing how to use it. But so I purchased this site um, and they had... 40,000 active listing uh, listings, which don't get me wrong, there's a de- decent amount of listings like connected to whether that was on Amazon or eBay, but the amount of data rows in the order management system was half a million rows of data. That's wild. So like, yeah, like, so in all honesty, like I didn't fully comprehend the magnitude of that problem until I really started having to deal with it firsthand. Um, that 
I'm I'm so thankful that I've got a an operations manager that is pretty pretty switched on that has helped me uh, through through this problem. But yeah, we're now uh, reduced that down. There's there was probably like a duplication of between five and ten per skew. Um, so that's kind of like under control now. But that's taken us two years to get that under control, and we couldn't until we got that under control we couldn't scale. So like to give to give you an idea, like uh, from a turnover perspective, since acquiring that company, turnover kind of first two years kind of stayed, stayed the same through everything that it had done. So like outwardly think to people and reps and stuff like that, they're like, nothing's changed kind of thing. And then this, this third year of ownership where, um, again, just financial quarter starts in, in July. We're on track to have just shy of doubled the revenue by having this data under control to being able to actually leverage it. That's the difference that just having a control of that data to being able to connect it to wherever. And that's just the start of where we can go with this. Oh, wow. So uh, make sure the inputs are good. They're not duplicated. They're cleaned up as soon as you can while you're smaller. <laughs> and yeah. then you, as it's, you scale, get easier. Yeah, it's like, it's one of those as well that you you forget when you're, as you're running the company, you're in it day to day that you just let the ball slip a little bit. You just add a bit in here, in there. Like this was, this was 14 years worth of, I will deal with it or I'll just, I'll put a bandaid on this now because of that. And it just compounds. And ultimately it's gotta be, it's gotta be sorted at, at some point. Otherwise it, it kind of just causes f massive repercussions across the board. Yeah. No kidding. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah. get, get... <laughs> that, that's like a, yeah, that's a practical, like real, real example. And like for me, um, so again, like I, I help a little bit of people on like the due diligence aspect now, having gone through a lot of these uh, areas myself. And like, that is one of the massively overlooked areas of when like evaluating a company is like digging into the OMS or ERP and actually looking at the product data to see where that's up to. Does it need to be um, like, oh, sorry, I forgot, I forgot the word. Like in terms of, do you need to, uh, add to it and and kind of like their inputs missing from there is it duplicated like all of that is like people will just like skim over it and not even consider it but like for us it's been hundreds of hours of manual labor within the team to get this right to be able to push forwards and that if you haven't obviously and you are doing it from an uh, m a perspective like that could just tank a deal from a profitability perspective that you overlook and completely overvalue something that it, it's got to be a massive input that you're looking at. Wow. Yeah. No, I hadn't, uh, I haven't really heard too much about that before and considered it. So I'm super <laughs> glad you brought that up and shared that, uh, example that you unfortunately had to go through, but it's, it's, a yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I was going to say, uh, my operations manager feels the blood, sweat, and tears from that a little bit more than than I do. But I was going to say the save, saving grace, like if you're ever on ops and you're, you're looking to uh, get better, please, please go on an Excel course. Like it will be your saving grace uh, being able to manipulate the data. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's one of the first things you'd say, get your data right, get everything in order, yeah. get organized as soon as you can, because it'll... As yeah. you scale, it'll only get more complicated. It, uh, yeah. If you ever like, is a great great point. If you ever do want to sell or get acquired or get investors, like, um, that's a key component that a lot of people overlook. Oh, definitely. So. But it's even it's even worse when the when the uh, train is running and you you're going full steam ahead, like to continue doing the, that operation. And also do the overhaul of all of that in parallel is super hard. Like that, that's the bit that's overlooked. Like when you're a beginning, like you've got no, like there's no repercussions. 
Like you can just go, oh, I'll just override all of that data. Give me all brand new data. We'll connect to the listings again. But like when, when you're actually going and have got traction, you can't afford to do that because if you do that and turn everything off and start, start from scratch, well, all revenue's gone. So like, that's why it's, it's a totally different thing further down the line. Once you've got traction and you, and you kind of like going full steam ahead, like that's why the, they, they can't be compared. You, you do need to give it this consideration and like somebody ultimately needs to understand the, the repercussions of what it causes that they are giving it the respect that it, it, it needs. Uh, ultimately, I know in a, like when we're talking like half a million to several million in just in seven figures that there's probably, you're not going to probably have a CRM person at that point. You might do when you're going five to 10, but like at that point when you need less than that, you're not going to. So somebody, you're, I'd probably saying your operations manager, your operations director needs to take it upon themselves that they notice these things. They understand the importance of this because the ramifications are a lot of blood, sweat and tears and ultimately uh, lost opportunity costs. Yeah, it's like trying to stop a, stop a snowball that's going down the mountain already. It's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's going to be harder and harder to like slow it down or stop it or redirect it, right? So uh, really yeah. good point, man. Uh, appreciate sharing that. So we got data. Is there anything else that someone in that early revenue range, 500K to 1.5 to 2 million? Should, what other things are like, have you noticed that are, relatively common either mistakes or just don't not knowing things. A quick reminder from our sponsor, ShareID. Find your next lifetime customers by providing verified discount codes based on occupation or life stage. Speak directly to veterans, students, teachers, first responders, and continue to tailor your messaging to them in the future with post-purchase emails and text messages. Make them feel seen with your brand by using ShareID to seamlessly verify their email in seconds during the purchase process. Go to shareid.com slash Shopify and start your free trial today. Yeah, so um, the common thing that I kind of see across the board here is not leveraging systems early enough. Uh, they're like, I've got this under control, I can deal with it. Or So like, I'll give you, an, I'll give you an example. I was speaking with somebody, it was a company, another company I acquired, um, and they were, they were in seven figure range and they were doing everything without an order management system. So what for, for anybody else that doesn't understand what that actually means. So they've got their Amazon store, they've got their eBay store, and they've got their own web store. And the orders just go to them. They don't go anywhere else. So you have to log into each of those stores every day when an order comes in, and then obviously process them manually. Um, and then obviously kind of go forward. So funnily enough, the person that was doing that was pulling their hair out. And that was one of the reasons that they were selling because they, they couldn't handle it. Um, and to say, oh yeah, it would be very simple. Just implement an order management system. Don't get me wrong. Like you need somebody that can take the time outside of the normal day-to-day -day operations to help implement that. But that would have sorted the majority of their stresses out. Um, and that, that's kind of thing. So like for me, the, the main two, the, I would say there's two systems that they kind of probably need to, to, to have, which is I would say OMS, not an ERP at this point. So they're, 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 there's two different ones there. So you've got OMS, which is your order management system. And then you've got an ERP, ERP, enterprise resource, uh, planning. Um, so they're the, the, the two different ones. And normally the price difference kind of signals that you shouldn't need the other one. Um, definitely kind of in that ballpark range, you, you'll probably be more than, more than fine. I tend to find the difference between the two systems is the analytics. That tends to be the, the difference. Like on the uh, OMS side, you'll get a very high level. Oh, we're doing this amount of sales. On ERP, you can dig into that a lot more and get a lot more of the reports you should be paying attention to. Just you're going to be paying accordingly. Uh, the kind of the price to give people like an idea of like costs uh, on an ERP, OMS and things like that, I would probably be saying as a ballpark per order, think 10 to 12p. That's kind of like where you probably are kind of having to pay towards to have that. For me, 
that's worth the sanity of things not going tits up and break breaking the company and, and creating more fires that you need putting out. It also takes the reliance off from at least from an owner's perspective, an operation, an operator's perspective, a team. Like I know that is probably not what people want to hear on the other side of that, but definitely it reduces the need for either specialists um, and also team you because you can automate certain tasks. So they're they're the definite reasons for definitely having an, uh, an OMS straight. Uh, I would definitely from as soon as you think you can afford it, put it into play. So for me, I would be doing that probably from a quarter of a million upwards. So definitely half a million upwards, I would definitely have it in play. And the only other the only other way I would say, like as soon as you're thinking you're going to do multi-channel, it, it's, it's it's a given. Like you you can't do it without. Uh, it's not it's not possible without breaking everything in the back end. You can get away with it not having uh, an OMS in play if you are just selling on your own site. But obviously, if you're doing that, you're leaving money on the table. So you might as well be uh, paying that a little bit extra to have that. So it would be OMS is like the first thing I would be saying is like the prerequisite. And then something that's kind of like another, funnily enough, unsexy area that people don't kind of talk about is the warehouse and how that how that runs. So um again another another quick story to kind of like help, help illustrate this point that company i talked about how, that i acquired that with the, the data issues funnily enough there was warehouse issues as well i know it's it's quite uh, surprising um so walk, walk around the warehouse um for anybody unsure of what a warehouse should be it should be uh, a unique box to uh, every SKU in an ideal scenario. That's like the, the golden setup. Whereas this one, there was uh, probably like a 250 square foot one pick zone. That was for one stuff. Things were on in like just random boxes on the floor. There'd be some pallets over there. There'd be some racking that had some stuff labeled and illustrated, probably owned for only about a quarter of the warehouse. Um, and then the majority of the stuff that you think should be in location X, you'd probably end up spending about 10 minutes trying to find that order. Um, so yeah, it didn't, didn't work. So again, unfortunately, tens of thousands into spending on racking uh, to rack out the whole of the warehouse. Cause we, we were, we were kind of covering about 10,000 square feet here um, to kind of like make it all right. So I think the thing that you forget about when ordering racking is that you've got to build it on the smaller bootstrap scale, not rather than paying somebody to come in. So again, making sure you've probably got a little bit extra labor on your warehouse team and you, you've bought them some extra cake that day to help you um, make it up because otherwise, yeah, you're in for a long, a long night uh, and days kind of build building that and preparing prepared to be get very sweaty because it is very manual um so I'm, I'm very fortunate with my team that they'll all help get stuck in like I, i'll help on that front not not an issue i'm not afraid to to shy away from any of that stuff again like i've been through it i understand it i won't be i'm not afraid to ask anybody to do something that i wouldn't do myself um so again it's you then got to set your warehouse up correctly um to be able to handle that so again starting out from day one it's a lot easier because you just have everything there. You set your warehouse up, you put all your boxes in, then you just go to your ERP system and go, this product lives in this bin location. Whereas when you're up and running and you are going hundred miles an hour, you then have to move something out of that bin location, say where it is going to be in a temporary bin location, set all the bin locations up, move it back, put it in that bin location, go back to your uh, OMS system, and then say where that new defined location is. And you have to do that for every product and look it up. But obviously, if your data is then screwed in the same process, and you've got 10 products all saying they're in the, uh, the, uh, the same product, which one of those do you update? We have to update them all because they all might be associated with different listings. So you then have to duplicate that data. Then you also have to try and find that product. So like there's loads of issues that kind of come into them compounding and having big knock-on effects with that. And then 
let's say you've kind of like set up bin locations for each product and unique. Well, that just helps save a massive amount of efficiency for your pick packing team. So you'll have bought back a, quite a bit of time on that front. Again, our data uh, on that old site was like real messed up. So again, inherited a massive problem on there. We didn't have barcodes in there, so we couldn't do uh, barcode scanning. It was all manual pick pack. So we didn't have quality control on there. So again, this has been a massive slow roller and you can solve yourself all of these headaches. And hopefully through my pain on this today, you will not make these mistakes that this old owner did and cause yourself a massive headache further down the line. And for like a simple like bin picking location, like um, make one that's scalable. So like we just go with a, um, a, a letter for the row. Then we've got a, a number for the actual rack. And then we've got uh, a, a number for the uh, actual shelf. And then we've got a, uh, I think either a number or letter for the uh, bin. So I think on ours, I think the letters and they go from like A to about J on the racks that are longer. So again, they're in alphabetical order. So again, the reason again for from, I'm personally, I'm dyslexic. So the, if I labeled my whole uh, warehouse uh, in alphabet and I, and I do have found this, several of our pick packers are also dyslexic that, um, you have to bear that in mind when you are labeling your system, because if you label it by alphabet, that's harder for them to remember which row is where than doing numbers, because they they find it easier to remember sequential numbers than actually um, that side. So that'll help set up your warehouse and get it all bit bit data. And obviously, then the only other final component from a data to warehouse crossover is the barcode area, and that'll just definitely help have the the knock-on effect of you not wasting sending out wrong parcels uh, that you then have to pay extra postage. You're not then losing uh, an extra item that you're probably either not going to be able to get shipped back because it doesn't need to be at the low kind of end. Um, and then also on customer service side, that they're, they're having to deal with more tickets and a really politely pissed off customer because this is an issue that's kind of been happened on that could have been avoidable on the back end. So it all, like I say, this this is all operations and it's all things that are within your control to not happen. And that's the thing, like the best e-com company is when things are just running smoothly in the, from a backend perspective that these headaches aren't there and you've got no bodges in place. And to me, that's the ideal setup. Like these, these two kind of main systems from an operational standpoint being in place and it makes everybody's day-to-day -day life a lot easier and no doubt in the day-to-day -day life things will crop up but at least you're not having to deal with the other fires yeah so that's a few amazing examples uh from your personal experience and uh i would have been stressed out too that previous owner <laughs> so uh understandably they were pulling they felt like pulling their hair out and just selling the thing yeah uh, that makes sense to me i'd probably be like that so I won't make that mistake next time I uh, start a <laughs> brand and doing that thing. Um, and then I loved how you brought it back into how that affects customer service, how that affects the shipping and the like barcode, like just the speed of picking and packing and like not having to like manually type it and all that stuff. Like that all adds up, yeah. especially as you scale. And not only does it affect yeah. customer service, it'll affect your advertising and marketing. Uh, people won't share word of mouth because they had a bad experience. Whereas if they just gotten the right product that they ordered and you have a good brand, good product, they're going to be like, cool, this is great. I'm going to tell my friends about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All at the end of the day, it's just all affecting your bottom line. Like it's either through wasted time or money. That's it. So, and they're all avoidable. Yep. And then that affects marketing and advertising because then they're, if they see an ad and they are not excluded and they have a bad experience, they might write a bad ad comment. And it's like, I, yeah, I was going to say like, that's something I've seen quite a bit again. So like I have a few different, obviously e-com sites. So I, I see a lot of different scenarios and obviously through COVID um, one site that we've got is in the um, outdoor furniture. So again, like massive container 
issues uh, on that. So it was all done through pre-orders. Um, and uh, what was then happening on this one retailer site, it wasn't on ours, but I, I could see uh, see this bubbling uh, and kind of like customers getting really annoyed was um, they were obviously running new uh, ads uh, on Facebook, uh, but they hadn't excluded uh, purchased people. So they were just commenting on all of the ads going, I've had my order on this now that they keep delaying and it's obviously putting off more people from buying. So it's crazy. Like just like the customer operational setup to then marketing, making a, a mess up uh, and not putting that in the exclusion that you've just cost yourself so many new sales in click through rate because of that as well. So I, I've seen it full, full circle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's truly the glue that, holds it all together or lets it fall apart. So that's uh, yeah. really, really good stuff so far. Um, so you've shared uh, quite a bit of common mistakes, what you see at this early stage. Um, do you wanna go into common mistakes as you scale up or would you rather talk about how to make your ops more efficient? Um, I think scale up is kind of, kind of an interesting one. It, it's. I think it's more of an area like I'm playing around a little bit more with myself at the, at the moment. Um, so it's kind of like I'm actively trying to learn as much as possible myself and feel, feeling those pains. But I think once you're doing a couple of million and you're kind of doing this, like you're going from 2 million and you're trying to probably get to around, let's say five, I think that's where, the analytics and the um, forecasting and all these type of elements really come a lot more into play. Uh, I would probably say like, as long as you've got a, an, an idea a little bit on your KPIs, um, the revenue is heading in the right direction and you're looking at your P&L each month and you, you, you're, you're on um, accrual counting, not cash counting, like the, these things are like, you should be heading in the right direction then you you've got an idea whereas like when you get into this next stage it, it things change from an operations point of view because scale mode means different unlocking different things like i think it, like again i was speaking about i don't know who was speaking about this recently again like um finance is deemed bad like for some reason like there's the connotations around like don't don't use finance and things like that whereas it, it's cast in a bad light. The way it should be viewed is it's a tool and you can leverage that if it makes sense commercially for your brand. It doesn't for everybody. But again, to unlock quicker growth, let's say, I I think the best example is Gymshark. I don't know if you've you've seen or heard about this, but they run a negative cash conversion cycle. And I don't know, don't think many people, I wasn't aware of what it was until I actually saw this as an example. So essentially what that means uh, for, for the wider listeners here is that they get a product from their suppliers and they have already sold it, got the money before they pay their supplier. So that's high, high level in principle what that means. So everything I would be saying to look and do is try not to use your own financing, use other people's. So look at payment terms. So if you're currently paying and you're your own brand and you, you're getting it shipped in from China and you're doing everything uh, in front, up front, like try and renegotiate terms. Start Obviously, I'm not saying go completely the other way and go get a net 90 because they just won't. Uh, let's be re real about it. So let's just try and do 50 up front and 50 on delivery, like start there, build that relationship and go from there. It's a, it's a stepping stone and it's a, it's a two-way relationship with your, with your suppliers and, and manufacturers. Like, again, I've, I've got it to a point where I've got between net 60 and 90 on retail side, and I can pretty much majority of the time sell most of that product before again. So again, like it, that's leveraging their cash, not mine. So I can grow quicker because of that. Um, obviously, again, like to be able to do big infrastructure changes, that might not be possible. So you might need to look to external financing. But again, 
look what makes sense for you and your brand. Again, obviously, where the economics uh, uh, as a world are heading at the moment, be very careful. Um, it's better cash is king at this point in time, and you need to keep as much disposable income around you and to give yourself that sanity and security moving forward. So again, like I would be saying three to six months worth of runway in the bank at the moment. Again, if you think that's causing you lost opportunity cost, then obviously you run that at whatever you, you think you need to, but that'll just kind of give you the security there that you do need. Um, and then obviously if you want to leverage external financing, I was going to say like the, the best kind of interest rates that I've kind of seen out there is like, Amazon loans are actually pretty, pretty cheap. The, the, what they, the financing that they offer. And, um, I've not actually used, um, per, uh, personally, um, Wayfair, uh, sorry, Way Wayfly. Uh, I've not used them. I've looked at Clear, Clear Bank, but they've just pulled out of Europe. So that, that's, uh, uh, says it all you need to know about what's going on in their uh, ecosystem at, at the moment. Um, but there are obviously other opportunities. You probably tend to find typical like high street uh, institutions, their rates are probably a little bit higher because uh, they just don't understand the uh, what this whole industry is. So again, just use, use that as information, explore your options. But again, that, that will help you buy more inventory but you need to know that you can sell the inventory. So again, like the easiest way without using uh, forecasting tools, if you know you need more inventory, is that have you sold out of it? If you sold out of it before you can do any more, well, if you place a bigger order, you'll probably be able to sell it. That's like the easiest way of without forecasting that you'll know you'll need more. So if you know that you place orders, uh, your main season is summer and you place orders October to December, ready for uh, that next season, that you're not going to be able to go to your manufacturer tomorrow. Sorry, go to your supplier tomorrow on the retail side and just get more stock. You've got to do it all like four to six months ahead of time that you know that previous years we've increased by 10% just yeah, that's probably about right. And we're still selling out. Well, you obviously know you've, there's still more demand for the product, but that's kind of like when we're saying between this two and five uh, million mark that, right, instead of just like using a finger in the air and seeing how things work, like get more analytical. This is where you will need to lean on more probably ERP than OMS at this point. Because to be honest, like I, I've, dug into the reports on most of the OMSs and I personally don't feel confident in making any large commercial decisions around them. That's different on ERPs, but you pay accordingly for that. Um, and then the same goes with then I'm, I'm also, I've not done it yet, but I would be then considering um, actual uh, forecasting uh, software to go alongside all of that data. But for forecasting data to work, it has to have historical uh, data. So again, if you're not running an order, order management system, that wouldn't even be possible. So having that all there will make your life easier further further down down the line. So again, if, you, if you're saying to me that you're running things in Excel spreadsheets and you're doing between one and two million, please take a look in the mirror because you probably shouldn't be. There are systems and tools there that will make your lives easier. And then if you're then saying to me, well, they're too expensive, well, you're selling things too cheap. That's the easiest answer to, to that one. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. That Those are some uh, good stuff about common mistakes as, as you scale up. Um, we're 56, 57 days out or something from Black Friday at this point. Um, so is there anything... I, it might be a little too late at this point, uh, especially when <laughs> it comes out in a couple of weeks, but for maybe next year or just talking, it's, it's, it's timely. Uh, what, what often gets overlooked or what do you, what would you recommend in terms of your inventory ordering or managing all this stuff around Black Friday, Cyber Monday? Yeah, I was going to say like, if you're a retailer, you've probably still got a chance to get stock stock in and, and be able to do that. So like the main thing I would end up doing that is just um, know what your best sellers are and just make sure that you have on hand stock of that. That would be the main one. Like, again, I think, again, like just going back to like 
uh, slight operational thing outside of this. Like one thing that I quite like and most companies on the retail side are open to these days is running more of a hybrid model. So you stock a certain amount of products, but then you lean on them to be more like not drop shipping. It's more like uh, on-demand on uh, inventory access. So you run a virtual warehouse and you can, hence why I said we had 150,000 SKUs. We don't have 150,000 uh, products in stock um, all the time. We leverage the uh, stock levels that the suppliers have got. And that also is only possible if you have an automatic management system in place to be able to set those types of things up. Um, and also that means that my um, business doesn't have to invest as much in stock. I'll just hold the best sellers, the ones that I know I will make stock of, but it allows me to hold a much uh, and offer a much wider range of products that there might just be those products that sell once a month and just increase uh, your sales volume that you can obviously get that through. So obviously coming back to uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, stock the main actual variants that you know you're going to probably end up kind of selling out of. And that should be just the given across like have on hand 30 days worth of uh, inventory to be able to kind of ride that. Um, and then actually for then these events, make sure you've got staff to cover it because that's like just, again, like we've got a rule over that time. You're just not allowed to book time off. Like for, for us, like we, as a small business, you've not got extra additional resources in a particular area to be able to function. So like if we as a team go, oh, you know what? Like we've got one customer support agent. Well, if he just says, you know what? Actually, I'm just going to have that week or next two weeks off. Like we'd be screwed. So it's like as a team, we understand like we're busy, less busy in certain months. And we're like, yeah, go, go take as much time as you want off as like within those areas, like no issues to us, like book the holiday in, but like, just as a couple of rules, we're like, please don't book it off on here. We just will really struggle to function. And obviously I'm sure you want to be paid at the end of the month. Um, and then also any other peak seasonal days will all have those same kind of effects so like staffing is like such a untalked about one that i think is especially in a small company where each role is crucial that can just mess up like okay you've got a pick packing team and you've got to get through a certain amount of orders like let's say so our team is of six let's say three phone in ill you've still got to get the orders done how do you handle it well, the amount of times that, um, so like, I'm really lucky. So like part of our stuff is it's all within the family. Um, well, the text goes out to the wider family and we just have to make step in and make sure it happens. So we will all be going and going down and doing the pick packing. So you might see the occasional photo where I'm going, oh, I'm in the warehouse today. And that's because we've just got to get the job done essentially. Um, and that's kind of like, why these things are like if you you can you can prevent that happening ahead of time so knowing when your peak seasonal events are like another company we've got like they have spring massive uh, peak we hire in extra uh, contract staff to help cover those events you can do the same on those but it really depends on you knowing your volumes to how much that might affect things. If it's only a little bit and you as a team can like step up pay pay off to uh, pay overtime not an issue or you might need to hire in contract uh, because it doesn't make sense to have a full-time extra throughout the rest of the year contract might be uh the the way to kind of bridge, bridge that gap um but then like obviously stock wise if you're an own brand you've missed the boat <laughs> for for this this one um obviously place your order ready for next year um that that kind of like the thing is but that, that said what you do sell through this period, you will at least be able to use that data for next year to know how things sell. Like you go, ah, oh, I thought this one would sell out and we only still had it. We only had a couple of units in stock and we've still got them. Well, you know, probably not to reorder a load of a load of them and have dead stock. It's like, yeah, you can obviously have a lot of money tied up in stock. And that's another kind of thing is just like, there's certain like benchmarks or like uh, kind of like things of rules of thumb that I've kind of come through, through like doing all of these kind of like different industries and different businesses. But I'd probably say 
not having more than 10%. Nah, I'd probably say like 30% of your revenue in stock. So like, let's say you're doing a million, you shouldn't have more than 300K at one point tied up in stock. Obviously, if you're coming into Black Friday, Cyber Monday as a own brand, might be slightly different. But as a generalized rule across the board, 30% is a decent enough metric to know how things are. Again, I've broken that rule myself when I've seen a clearance deal of something and I just go and go, you know what? I know I can make a lot of money um, by sitting on that stock and selling it over time. But just as a kind of like, do I think I've got too much stock or not enough type of thing? Like that's kind of like, as a max kind of general rule of thumb where I kind of sit sit towards. But as obviously, again, if you're a smaller retailer, uh, sorry, a smaller own brand or retailer, and you're still coming into this period, like, again, you might, as you probably know um, on that side, like you probably don't have an in-house marketer still at that point. You probably might be doing bits yourself. You do, you probably will have like an email list and things like that. Don't you, there is still time obviously to do bits yourself. Don't worry about not knowing how to do all these things or anything like that. Just set up one basic email flow. Like that, that will be fine for you to be able to survive and at least capitalize on the opportunity. Just don't think about extending the period or the holiday. Just do it for the, 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 what the, uh, the time period is of that because it just, it loses the scarcity uh, around it. So go for there. Think two emails. On the first day, announcing one day, in, uh, e one email per day in between, and two on the end. If you're gonna, if you've got an SMS list, do one uh, one to say you've started, and one to say like several hours before the end that it's closing. Like, keep it as simple as simple as that. That's probably a day's work on your operation side to set up, and you'll be you'll be grand, and the ROI on that will be more than worth yeah. it. Yeah. Keep it simple, simple. If anything I've learned from this talk so far, uh, this episode is simple scales. And so, uh, and, and simple really cells. So it, it works both, yeah. it works both <laughs> ways. So um, really good, really good, man. Um, is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you've been dying to share or think would be a good add-on from previous questions or discussions? I just, again, I think just hitting it home that, I know I've said it already, but you will thank me later and you can buy me a pie at some point that when you don't mess up your data to understand it, you will only ever do that and realize that when you go into those headaches and, and see what it comes down to. So again, ultimately what gets you here won't get you there. So again, what you'll find is what gets you from naught to one, you'll have certain systems because you can afford and put in that place but then going from like one to five and then five to 10, these systems will, will somewhat, somewhat change through, throughout all of that. And you will fine tune that and you will probably then have enough resources to have somebody in control of each area and things like that. But I'd say like the only, the only other thing that has been like something I've been thinking a lot about recently is more around KPIs. And I think this isn't so, because like the majority of people that I've at least like spoken with that are running these companies between like half a mil and two mil, they, they've kind of been in these businesses for a bit of time. They're not normally from the industry. They don't, they don't really understand the majority of it. They've just learned on the job. So then they're not the most informed and that's because they don't know what they don't know. And they've not had the opportunity for extra mentoring or support and things like that. So I think as you start to scale, you need to be able to like give ownership to different people in different areas. And for me now with several different entities, for me to know when um, a problem is potentially coming to light and catch it before it does, I'm really hoping that what I'm about to implement through KPIs will help solve this. And again, as an owner, you shouldn't be obviously in the day-to-day -day of the business. You should be able to be able to take a step back with the correct operational team in place to make that happen, but not to be so disconnected. You don't know what's going on that you need the ability of um, each department, essentially your team, 
being held to certain KPIs, uh, performance KPIs that knowing things are heading in the right direction. So again, from uh, marketing, that could be a high level of um, revenue per site visit. It could be uh, cost per acquisition. It could be just ROAS, just as a, a guide. guide. Um, it could then be on the operations um, side of things um, that uh, you are actually even just leveraging systems that they're that kind of in place. Um, to be able to kind of push, push, push forwards. Like, again, the, I would want to know how much uh, in, uh, stock inventory I've got on hand. Um, that's kind of like just my main key one on there from the operation. And then like customer support, kind of like what's the um, customer satisfaction score like from the, as a, as a high, high level? What's the, and then like going over to kind of like um, the fulfillment side, like, what's the like return rate i also want to break down in a separate thing of why um so I, we can ultimately dig into that at a later time like to be honest, then if you're saying like something that's like another good thing to probably do and you'll uncover a lot more issues that you didn't know about is track your returns and all the reasons for it and then you will have a list of to-do lists that you then need to go and resolve um because they're normally all tied to an issue uh, for the majority of the time, other than the wrong size, can I, and then order reorders, then they're normally always tied to something else. But like each of the different departments, like I've said, kind of like the six different areas to the business, each of them can be held to about two to three different KPIs to monitor how that uh, that's kind of play, playing out. And I think that's something that internally you can look at the different systems to know how that that's kind of like heading in the right trajectory. Yeah, it's really important to have those goals or benchmarks or these tracking so that if you start to get off track, there's a faster feedback loop to catch it earlier and be able to adjust, adapt, problem solve, coach someone, jump in and uh, yeah. I, oh, all, all this stuff, right? So I think that's a really good way to end um, with those like implementing KPIs, tracking, and trying to like keep them as a founder, as you grow in scale, you're doing less and less of the everything and you'll you need to trust and rely and build a system to be able to check in on everything so really good way to end there man uh elliot where do you uh where do you want to send people where do you want to like have them find you or talk to you uh, if they want to learn more about what you do i was going to say i think everybody these days lives on twitter so uh uh, yeah, just um, you can follow me at just Elliot Davidson, E W L I O T T Davidson, D A V I D S O N. And to be honest, um, I'm pretty active. I don't necessarily post as as much on LinkedIn, but I, I it's just again uh, forward slash uh, Elliot, Elliot Davidson on on there. And they're they're the main two channels that I seem to find uh, myself uh, spending far too much time on these days. Awesome. Go follow Elliot on Twitter and LinkedIn, Elliot Davidson. It'll be in the show notes down below. Uh, really appreciate your time, man. And thanks for talking about making an unsexy topic uh, fun for me to learn about. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank awesome. you. And everyone else, thanks for listening. Go, uh, if you haven't yet, for some reason, go rate, uh, give us a rating, subscribe, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Appreciate it. Have a good one.